Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Good to see everyone. Uh, my name is Pastor Alberto. I serve here as the lead pastor of this church. Uh, I'm a little nervous right now, man. I've been out for the past two weeks. Uh, so um, my wife, uh, we gave birth. My wife delivered our newborn baby girl. Look at her right there. I, I didn't do anything. She did everything. Uh, that's Sophie uh, coming in at four pounds, five ounces. And, and that's my son, Elias. He turns two in a couple weeks. And I asked our, our team in the back, I was like, can I show this picture? My son's in his diaper. And they're like, yeah, uh, it's cute. Uh, he's still in that cuteness range, okay? If he was like five years old, it'd be kind of weird. So, so he made the cut. Uh, so shout out to my wife and uh, our, our baby daughter watching online. And, and thank you guys so much for uh, the prayers and the thoughts. Uh, thank you guys for joining alongside uh, with us. So I've been out the past couple weeks with Pastor Ryan uh, here two weeks ago from Landmark Church, brought a word, and then uh, founding pastor Peter Dusan was here uh, last week, and in the slight chance that you're watching this, shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for, uh, for bringing the word. Now, uh, before we jump in, I want to start by sharing a brief word of encouragement uh, towards you guys. Uh, when I was 18 years old, uh, I'd just come to know the Lord, and me and a whole bunch of other 18-year-olds were super zealous for Jesus because that's what happens when you are newly saved and, and you redirect a lot of young energy into following the Lord. And uh, I remember we would gather in these circles, uh, people of faith all over the community uh, that, that I made friends with, and, and, and some person would eventually say something like this, man, wouldn't it be cool if we were just like the church in Acts? Like, like Acts chapter 2, like, like what if we like all got together and, and did communal living in a non-cultish way and, 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 we, and we extended ourselves and, and we gave of ourselves and, and met each other's needs and, and, and then everybody would get rallied up like, yeah, yeah, why, why can't we be like the church of Acts? And, and in a subtle way, it was a soft critique of the church as though the church wasn't doing that. And as I began to grow in this community and get around church people, I figured out that nothing could be further from the truth. And that, in fact, people who were offering that critique were people who were following Jesus at a distance and never plugging into the life of the church because the church was doing that all along. And one thing I love about the Springs and I love about you guys is that you guys embody this so well. I've been out the past couple weeks, and I've been hearing testimony after testimony, random story here and there about how you guys are jumping in to help meet each other's needs. Uh, people setting up meal trains for, for people who are burdened or, or going through something. Uh, one story of a guy who is going through a hard time, and homeboy from his growth group, uh, community group, goes and picks him up, takes him out to lunch, and there's ministry. Uh, one member helping another member pay rent because they're getting behind and, and they're out of a job. I, I heard one story of a community group take a new person who just showed up to Walmart to buy appliances for their new home incredible stories about people in this room that you're sitting next to coming alongside each other and helping meet needs and provide tangible care, opening up homes to bless members. And, and when I think about that church of Acts and, and those specific moments that we glean for and long for, I want to encourage you. It's happening here. It's happening right now as I speak, and if you want to be a part of it, I would just invite you to jump in and ask the Holy Spirit, uh, show me opportunities to extend myself and serve my brothers and sisters, and watch how the Lord 
begins to open up doors to provide practical ministry and all that to say thank you guys i'm so 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 proud of you i i boast in in you guys when i get around churches and and, and church planters and other pastors i'm like your people are cool but mine are better like, 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 like we're, we're dope. We got this amazing thing going on in, in San Marcos and its impact in the city and region. There's so much transformation happening. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the family. You get to jump right into it. There's nothing you need to do to, to, to carve a seat out at the table. You are welcome. Uh, so uh, with that, we're going, you know, we were joking around this morning about how I do a lot of abrupt transitions, and so we're just going to do it right now. I'm going to abruptly transition to my next train of thought. You're with me, and so uh, we're going for it. So if you saw that video playing just now, uh, and, and you've seen it before, I, I mentioned uh, that when you see this video, it, we're, we're taking a pause to really remember who we are and what God is calling us to do and be. It's sort of like a, an irregular DNA series, and so uh, we unpacked some of our, our DNA in February. We're going to do it today and next Sunday and maybe a few times in the fall, so this is kind of an irregular standalone series where we, really we examine, revisit, and more importantly, remember who God is calling us to be as a church and how we can live that out. Uh, and so uh, Isaiah 43, 19 is really this vision verse. It's where we get the name, the springs. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And in many ways, this verse frames what we long to see happen in our personal lives and in this city and in this region. Uh, that through the renewing power of the gospel, we would experience transformation in every single area of our lives that eventually gets out of us and is flowing like a river into every single area of life that we would occupy in our homes, in our jobs, in our city, and in this region. And, and we believe that, that the message and the person of Jesus changes everything. And that through Christ, new life can spring forth even in the most broken and barren parts of our lives and our city. And that through Christ, new life continues to spring forth as we grow in our relationship with God, and he moment by moment transforms us to become all that he's called us to be and walk in the life that he's made available for us. And so that's why we say this about our mission, uh, that the Spring Church exists to make disciples, followers of Jesus, who are being transformed by the gospel for the worship of God the Father, the mission of God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit. And if you've been journeying with us, we talk a lot about this transformation piece. Mostly my fault, because I can't get enough of it. Uh, but what I want to do this morning is sort of focus on this worship piece, and, and specifically the role it has to play in experiencing ongoing transformation, the renovation of the heart, as one author says. And with that in mind, I invite you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. Now, if you need a Bible, will you please shoot up your hand? My man Ivan is going to put a Bible uh, in your hand, and, and that is our gift to you. So if you don't own a Bible, uh, you can take that home with you. Go ahead and quickly shoot up your hand. We're all Bibled out. Okay, there we go. got a couple Bibles, uh, and, and you can take that home with you. Uh, you can turn to page, uh, I believe, 74 or 174 in that Bible. I don't know if I got the number right in my notes. Try both, 174 or 74. It's in the middle, so wherever that lands you. Uh, and, and let's read uh, the scripture together. Together. So will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1 through 12. 
says this. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me through on the outside of the outer gate that faces toward the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water, and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the waters flow into the sea, the Dead Sea, uh, the water will become fresh. And wherever this river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish for this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name and uh, we ask uh, that, that you would, uh, through your spirit, prepare our hearts to receive your word. Uh, Lord, as, uh, as Christopher said, it's so true. We can come in from a thousand different places uh, with uh, different experiences and backgrounds and uh, maybe uh, different sort of happenings of, of the morning and last night. And it can be so easy to be consumed with uh, what's happening or what's been going on or, or what's to come. But I ask through the power of your spirit that you would help us to be present, uh, to receive your word, that it would take root in our heart and yield an abundant harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Ezekiel 47, there's a, there's a lot happening here. If this is your, your first time reading with us, it, it seems like uh, there's, there's water, there's river, there's fish, a lot of imagery. What does it all mean? Now, as much as I would love to sit here and unpack all the detailed imagery and how it connects to the ministry of Jesus and what that means for us, uh, that's not what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we did that last year, so if you want to go to our website, thespringstex.org, you can listen to our Life in the Gospel sermon series where we unpack a little bit more of the prophetic significance. But what we're going to do this morning is focus on one image, and that is the temple. Verse 1, it says this, Then he brought me back to the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold, south of the altar. So what's happening in this moment is that the prophet Ezekiel is getting this vision of God's temple. And in this vision, he sees that a trickle of water begins to flow from the temple, which would represent God's presence dwelling on the earth. And all of a sudden, this small trickle of water turns into a stream. Then he says it's ankle deep, then knee deep, waist deep. Then it's a river that's impassable. Now, what's so special about this river is that it's exiting the temple is that everywhere it begins to flow, Ezekiel says things begin to come alive. And this is absolutely significant and incredible. He goes on to say that this river actually empties into the Dead Sea, which historically nothing lives in it. That's why it's dead. 
And all of a sudden, it begins to be teeming with life, fresh fish and abundance of trees and fruit. Now, we go on to understand that this river actually represents God's spirit coming out of the temple. And everywhere God's spirit is flowing, it begins to transform the land and the region. This is one of the ways we we think about transformation. Now, long story short, Jesus, in in John chapter 7, stands up during this incredible prophetic ceremony honoring this moment uh, in Ezekiel where the high priest would come bring jugs of water all the way up the temple steps, pour it out, and then it would begin to create this small flow of water, really symbolizing what Ezekiel was envisioning, praying that one day God's spirit would be poured out over his people. And Jesus, being the man that he is, says, if anyone thirsts, come to me, and rivers of living water will flow out of their heart. And so Jesus begins to say he is the prophetic fulfillment of this prophecy, that that through Jesus, when we come into faith in him, his spirit comes inside of us and begins to flow through us in a powerful, transforming way, that wherever it flows or wherever it goes, we can experience new life. Now, what is so incredible about this is that when we think about the temple, historically, the temple has always represented a place of worship. Now, we're going to dive into some ancient Near East context and, and see how it speaks to us today. So the word temple comes from two Greek words that are combined together that means sacred space, holy space. It's, it's God's dwelling place. And so the temple would symbolize the dwelling place of God. It was a symbol of God's presence and power in the midst of his people. Uh, Psalm 78, 69 says, he built his sanctuary like the heavens like the earth which he founded forever. You see, the temple in many ways is a microcosm of all creation. It speaks to all of God's creation and his power and presence in all of creation. Another significant feature about the temple is that it was the center of all matters of life. Now, this is something that we don't really connect to because we don't have temples like this in our city, but in this ancient Near East context, in Israel, the temple was the center of all matters of life because the temple represented God's presence, and so you would order and orient your life around God's presence. And so the temple symbolizes God's presence dwelling with his people, and God's people are called to live, uh, to love God exclusively with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, and make him central, hear me, in all matters of life, ethics, and conduct. And so for this reason, the temple, the place of worship, played such a significant role in in social, religious, political life in ancient Israel. It was the place where, where social life and political life and economic life intersected with God's divine presence and then recentered life around God. Everything was intersected with God's presence. And so the ancient idea was to live a temple-centered life. And to be temple-centered means to be God-centered, as the temple represented uh, God's presence here on earth. So how would you orient your life around God's presence? How would God's presence dwelling among you influence the way you think about politics or, or social life or ethical decisions? And so what we see here is that in Ezekiel's vision, 
the temple is flowing, releasing God's renewing presence, bringing healing to the land and transforming places where things go to die and resurrecting it with new life. And so what does that have to do with worship? Well, essentially, a lifestyle of worshiping God means living a God-centered life. What does worship mean? In the simplest way possible, it means to be God-centered, a God-centered life, a life of complete allegiance to God and God alone. And in our Western day and age, we, we sometimes just limit worship to the songs that we sing or the songs that we hear on the radio and then move on with our life. But remember what we said earlier. That a temple-centered life in ancient Israel meant that all of life intersected with God's presence. So what does it mean to live everyday life in light of God's presence dwelling with us? So to be a worshiper, to live a lifestyle of worship, means that God is centered in every single area of our life. Not just the songs that we sing, but the thoughts that we have. The decisions that we make, when we look at our bank account, and when we make budgets, and when we consider the future, what does it mean to worship God? To put him at the center of that, and then organize and reorient everything around him. Worship, a lifestyle of centering God, a life of complete allegiance to God and God alone, uh, that, that out of uh, God's great love for us, we're compelled to pursue joyful obedience to him in every area of life. To, to keep God centered means that we prioritize him and hold him in high esteem in every single area of our life, not just the few hours that we give him on Sunday morning, but around our finances, around our decisions, around our parenting, uh, around our career moves. What is it look like to take God into consideration and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because I want to worship you in every single area of my life, not just the Christian areas that our culture calls Christian. You see, the way of experiencing ongoing transformation is living a God-centered life. Uh, the river of God's spirit, hear me, flows from a God-centered life. Are you wondering, God, why aren't you moving in this area of my life? That is a gracious invitation for God to invite you to examine your life and see, is he centered? God, why aren't you moving in my finances? Is God centered? Are you being generous, tithing, giving, allowing him to be the Lord of your finances and from that place submit to his generous provision and see how he begins to work in that area of your life? God, why aren't you moving in, in this area where I've been longing for victory? Are you centering him? Or are you more concerned about yourself? See, the way of experiencing ongoing transformation is to live a God-centered life. And Ezekiel says that God's presence flowing like a river in our lives has the, the power to change everything, to cause everything to live where it goes. And here's what, the, here, here, here's what this also means is that when we abandon a God-centered life, we also abandon the source of life. 
When we abandon a God-centered life, we abandon the source of life. You see, our lives were, were designed by God and for God to be miniature temples that would host his presence and live in light of God's centrality in every single area of life. And if you're wondering how to have your best life now and the most fruitful life now and live the way God designed you to live, it means living in light of God's centrality, making him center and first in every single area of your life. We were designed to give God glory. But what we know from Scripture is that sin comes and disrupts God's good creation, and our hearts, instead of being a throne room for God's presence, becomes a trading center for idols. I love what Ian Dugat says. He says, sin is not just breaking the rules. It's living a life centered around something other than God. Sin is not just breaking the rules. It's living a life centered around something other than God. In other words, it's trading one thing for another, trading the one true God for something else. And when you abandon the center, you abandon the source of life. You see, the testimony of Scripture is this. Sin is not simply misbehavior, but a worship disorder. Sin is not simply misbehavior, but a worship disorder. And if you only view sin as the bad stuff, the stuff that your neighbor does, the stuff that you you secretly judge your family for doing, if you only view sin as the activity that you know is wrong, but you do in moderation, if you only view sin as misbehavior, you'll spend a lifetime modifying your behavior to give off the appearance of godliness with no internal transformation. You see, misbehavior, doing the bad stuff, disordered living is a fruit of a broken heart, a heart that has traded one center for another. You see, sin is a practice of pursuing, worshiping, revering, and adoring things or people that you think will ultimately satisfy you, complete you, fulfill you. Sin is replacing God in your heart with something else. It's trading one center for another, trading God for for something else. And the misbehavior always comes after the worship problem starts. You see, our hearts drip because of sin uh, away from God. And instead of worshiping God, loving God, living for God, our hearts live and love lesser things. And, And here's one thing I notice about my heart, and you can examine your own, is that my heart doesn't just pursue or worship random things. Rather, my heart pursues very specific things, things that I believe God is taking too long on, so I gotta go get it myself. My heart pursues rest by trying to binge watch a a thousand different shows and movies and check out on social media because I don't believe God's rest is sufficient for me. My heart uh, pursues and seeks not just random things, but very specific things that I believe uh, God is withholding or I'm not receiving on uh, my timeline. And so instead of worshiping God and delighting in him, guess what? I'm pursuing trading centers for something else. And what I've noticed about the heart is that we all crave and, 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 and want essential things. Not non-essential things. We want essential things, things that we believe will will give us happiness and peace and joy and safety and a feeling of purpose and significance. We all crave very specific things. And and what the scripture tells us over and over and over again is, is that when you're not worshiping God, you are worshiping something else. 
And the reason this happens over and over again is because maybe they're not getting their expectations met or their timeline isn't being fulfilled. And so instead of waiting on God or being with God, they go pursue something or someone else. See, the children of Israel, they never just pursue random idols. They never just say, that one sounds good, let's do it. Rather, they pursue idols that, that they believe will give them the essential things in life, the things that, that they thought was the key to, to life and peace. And so in an ancient agrarian society where your life revolved around cattle and harvest and rain, what did you want to be successful? Uh, rain and crops and food to survive. And so they would say, God, we need rain to live. And you're not bringing it. So we're going to bow down and worship this other false god because they told us if we worship this god, that god would bring us rain. And so they abandoned the one true god for an immediate temporary fix. Oh, God, we we need food and and our crops aren't growing. So we're going to bow down and worship these other false gods who promised to bring an abundant harvest so we'll never be hungry again. And you might say something like, well, we, we don't do that anymore. That was a different time, a different culture, a different environment. And although that is true, hear me, time, culture, and environment can change, but people remain primarily the same. And the heart, unless it is gripped by the love of God, remains primarily the same. Unless you find life in Christ, you will look for life in peace in a thousand different spaces, in a thousand different spaces, only coming up empty. And the question that I have for you this morning is, what are you pursuing? What are you going after that you believe will, will give you the essential things in life? Uh, is this world telling you that, that, it, that, that via social media, that, that if you have influence or you get the right job or, or the right money or, or make the right career moves, that, that you will be happy? And, and the danger of these idols is like, like the children of Israel, we will sacrifice to them. We will give ourselves to them to attain whatever it is they promise so that our heart can be satisfied. We will sacrifice whatever it takes to get those essential things. If you idolize work, you'll sacrifice integrity and honesty for a chance to just climb up that ladder. Or you'll sacrifice quality time with your family and friends because you can't stand the idea of not being successful, so you'll do whatever it takes to be significant. Your work and your hobbies are not bad things, but they're not worthy of being worshipped. If you idolize a person because you need to feel loved and you need to feel happy and, and you hate the idea of being lonely, you will sacrifice godly standards, even godly wisdom from others at the altar in exchange for a relationship that will compromise your faith and only bring destruction. If you idolize the best version of yourself because you want to feel secure and safe and worthy and brave and loved and you want to feel whole and you want healing, you'll sacrifice God's slow, laborious, time-consuming, often unnoticeable plan for inside-out transformation for a quick fix temporarily satisfying lifestyle or a way of living apart from God because God isn't working out the way you wanted him to. And over and over and over again, the testimony of scriptures is that when you trade centers, idols bring death. If God isn't worshiped in your life, 
whatever it is you are worshiping, longing after, pursuing, will crush you, will destroy you, and will bring you disappointment. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus brings life. That when Jesus is worshiped, the one true God, the personal God who has created you, uh, who knows you in a way that the created things don't know you, he has the power to satisfy you and complete you and bring peace and joy like no other created thing can do. And, And where most earthly things that we bow down to are easily stripped away, hear me, Jesus is not going anywhere. The worship of the one true God brings life, brings peace, and brings joy. Now, I just said a lot of things. Thank you for agreeing with me with that lighthearted laughter. Wow, great. I guess I did say a lot of things. Now, why does this matter? And what does this mean for you and I? Because this means something for you and I. It means something for the lives that we live. Nobody in this room is exempt from this. And often we exempt ourselves from examining our hearts because we've been so accustomed to following Jesus and worshiping God and doing all the Christian things that we justify ourselves. And we say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with God. I know how he works. And even if I'm not, I'll just repent later. Instead of taking honest moments to evaluate every single area of our lives and say, God, are you the center of this? Like, I, like I, I know you're the center of, of, of my marriage because we make a commitment to pursue you together, but, but are you you're the center of my parenting or am I just disciplining from a selfish place filled with anger and rage? God, I, I know you're a generous provider and, and, and I'm giving generously, but it's more out of obligation and I really consider you with all the other purchases I do. Does that bring you honor? And then there's this subtle creative way that we justify ourselves, where we begin to say, no, what we're doing with our lives, we're doing for God. But did God ask you to do that? Does God want that from you? And what we find ourselves is we're just pursuing selfish ambition in the name of the Lord. Why does this matter? The reason this matters is because we are transformed by what we worship. Uh, as the ancient saying goes, we become what we behold, uh, what we're captivated by, what we hold in awe and reverence, what we hold in high esteem has the power to influence the decisions we make and shape our lives either for God's glory or for our destruction. What we worship will ultimately transform us. And if you worship your career, if you worship your job, if you worship your kids, if you worship this person, if you worship a certain lifestyle that isn't God, it will not create a better quality of life. It will actually produce further bondage because it's not meant or designed to liberate you and, 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 and uh, uh, set you up to be all that God's called you to be the way a relationship with God can. And so how do we become vessels of transformation? And how do we experience transformation? By being God-centered. Placing God center and making him central in every single area of our life. Now, one thing about worship is that it requires freedom. 
You see, worship requires total allegiance to God, and in order to do that, we must be freed from the constant pull of sin into self-centered living. And unless we're free from ourselves and free from the power of sin, there is no chance of living a God-centered life. But the good news of the kingdom of God is that through Jesus, we can experience freedom from the pull of sin so that we can be created, so we can be free to be who God created us to be, God-centered worshipers. I love this quote by Leland Riken. He says this, Jesus declares that he is the divine presence who takes the place of the symbolism of the temple. Jesus is the temple, God's presence dwelling on earth among us. And the temple that represented God's presence and earth, Jesus is the fullness of that presence in bodily form. And a rumor had reached the high priest that Jesus had foreseen the destruction of the temple in in Mark chapter 13 and attributed to him the claim that in three days he would build another, but a temple that wasn't made by hands. His opponents knew exactly what he was saying, that he would stand in the place of the temple, the physical building, as the presence of God. And Jesus promised to put that presence inside of us as he cleared our temple of sin so that we could host God's presence as we were designed to do in the beginning. You see, the way of experiencing ongoing transformation is to live a life of worship. What is a life of worship? A God-centered life. And the river of God's spirit flows through a God-centered life. And Ezekiel reminds us that God's presence flowing like a river in our lives has the power to cause everything to live wherever it flows. How is God inviting you this morning to center your life around him? What is God calling you to turn away from so that you can receive his grace and his presence? Not just for the spiritual parts of lives that you can easily identify, but every single area of our life holistic submission to King Jesus. Our spiritual life, our physical life, our emotional life, every single area for his glory and his namesake. Let's pray.